Welcome to the Osprey Podcast. Today doesn't really need much introduction, to be honest. The superhuman mountaineer that is NIMS is joining us to chat all things 8,000 meters. It's going to be a good one. Let's get straight to it. I'm your host, Marcus Brown, and this is the Osprey Podcast. Let's set up who you are for those few that don't already know. Okay. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, Tell so you. those who doesn't know me, my name is Inanim Stai. Um, I was born in Nepal. Um, I had a really humble upbringing. Um, you know, pretty much, you know, came from really poor family. Uh, just to put into perspective, didn't even have a flip flops when I was, you know, kid. Then eventually, you know, I joined the Gurkhas because that was my only dream uh, since I was a kid and all that. Um, then from the Gurkhas, you know, I joined the Special Boat Service, being the first ever to do in the history. And last year... Um, was that first to come from the Gurkhas? First year the from the Gurkhas yeah. to, the, to the SBS to pass the selection. So, and in 2019... Um, I managed to climb all the 14 highest mountains in the world, uh, which are above 1,000 meter peaks in just you know, six months and six days. So, yeah, that's my, you know, sort introduction. <laughs> that's your, that's your <laughs> totally unremarkable story. <laughs> How has this year been for you? How's COVID kind of affected your plans? I'm sure, as with everyone, a few yeah. things have been derailed. Mate, this year has been, you know, really tough, you know, as like too many, you know, you know, people out there. Uh, it's a very sad year for, you know, all the human beings, you know, for sure. Um, fortunately, you know, I had this opportunity to write the book Beyond Possible, um, which is kind of, you know, a book um, about my life up to date. I wouldn't say it's my, you know, you know autobiography because I'm, I'm still young, but... It is, you know, since my inner childhood, you know, in my military career to my, you know, like, you know, the rescues and, 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 and you know, climbing all those, you know, 14 highest mountains in the world. Um, so it's been really humbling, you know, experience. Uh, I must say that, you know, that's probably one of the hardest things I have done this year, you know, writing the book. But, yeah, you know, and maybe it's because, you know, I, I give 100% in everything what I do and I want that book to be you know, meeting the people's expectation as well. Uh, so I had to work hard, but I'm, I'm really pleased now, you know, how the book has came across. Um, and I'm sure, you know, people would be able to find their own way and, and relate to the book, which probably we're gonna talk a bit later on that one. And um, towards the end of summer, um, I've been learning how to speed fly in, uh, in, in, in France. So that's been oh, a yeah. bit obviously good. We'll but in terms in of, time, you know, yeah. for me, like I was thinking of, you know, guiding people on Everest because, you know, that's what I do now. I take people on K2, I take people on, on big mountains and all that. And uh, we had set up a company uh, with my brother Migma, who, who is the youngest guy to climb all the 14 peaks. And we were kind of you know, expecting to take that off, you know, this year and go big. But then with the COVID, you know, all the Himalayan expeditions were cancelled and, um yeah, of course, there's, you know, like, an you know, ups and down in life, but you just have to adapt to it, I guess, and, yeah. For sure, for sure. So do you think, in a way, that the book actually benefited from it? Do you think the book's better as a result? 
Because I 100%, you know, and then, oh yeah, I wouldn't have been able to do the justice to the book if I was, you know, guiding on all this, you know, 8,000 meter peak and I had to write this book and all that. So, yeah, in, in a way that, you know, it it kind of you know, made me look into the very tiny details and, and why I do that kind of stuff and how people can relate in, in normal life and all that. So, yeah. Good. Brilliant. So let's talk. You mentioned Project Possible, 14 of the highest peaks in the world, mm -hmm. all done in six months and six days. The previous world record was seven years. Is that right? It was nearly eight years. Nearly eight years. Yeah, only 15 <laughs> days short. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a lot to kind of cover there. But I mean, first of all, what did you do different to what the previous guy did that um, made that possible? Because that's such a jump. Okay, so the first, you know, I really love what I do. I had the passion for the mountaineering. And the second thing was I had the purpose. And the purpose were not a, a smaller purpose. It was, you know, I was trying to show the world in 8 billion population that what is humanly possible. That is a huge, you know, like purpose and a mission. And equally, you know, I wanted to, you know, raise the, the name of the Nepalese climbers, you know, the Serpas, who have been always the frontier of, you know, a thousand meter peaks. Mm -hmm. So that was another, you know, huge, you know, like, you know, mammoth tax for me. And, um, you know, thirdly, and, and most equally importantly, I wanted to, you know, raise the awareness about, you know, the, the global warming, the climate change and all that. So... Those were like, you know, the things that get me fire. Um, but when you read this book, you know, what you will find is, yes, I have this bigger purpose, but then you will find out what were like the, the, the mini you know, missions and objectives, mini motivations and all that. Like, for example, then when you climb all these big mountains, you cannot just like think about the one purpose and all that because, you know, after a while, you know, we're human. It just gets a bit repetitive and you get bored. Then I was used to think like, okay, then I represent, you know, UK Special Forces, I represent the Gurkhas, then I represent the Nepalese climbing community. Then I would just say, yeah, I have to get back home from my family because, you know, I'm only the the one who is obviously earning the money. And, you know, a lot of these things, you know, which goes into like my, microscopic level, you know, where you have to use that. Um, so... Yeah, and, and and the most important part was I was a team player, not only a leader. And to be a leader, you got to be a team player first. Mm -hmm. So my approach you know, in this was you know, completely different. I was giving more opportunities to my Serpa brothers as well. When we started, you know, most of my team members didn't have you know, much experience. Really? But then I was sending them, in, um, you know, where I was putting their... Um, them into this like climbing where they haven't done before. So it was also something in for them as well. Mm -hmm. So normally when people climb, you know, let's say Everest, they would have a guide or somebody else who has submitted Everest because then who would know the routes and, and it's, it's so much easier. But my approach was different. I was like putting them in the mountain they haven't climbed before so that it also motivates them. And of course, I'm a mountain and I'm, I'm not going to get lost in these big mountains. It was also the confidence that I had in terms of navigations, you know, looking the route and all that. But it has to be fair. And then my whole life in all this about is being fair and all that. And, uh, so you yeah, want to and make sure that yeah, you were yeah, giving them the opportunity exactly, as well. Exactly. That's really cool. So that's why, you know, I think it, it became a huge success. So what are some of the logistics then of a project like that? Because, you know, like take Everest, for example, it's 
you know, you have to wait for your, mm -hmm. for your weather window. You've got to have a few stretch of days mm -hmm. where you think it's okay. And then, and then you can go for it. Is that the case on all of these peaks? Oh yeah, 100%. You know, the logistic is, is the biggest nightmare. And in terms of, if you say like the, the weather, you know, for me, I couldn't wait for the, you know, good weather because I was on a mission. And at some point I was climbing at, you know, like 75 kilometer per hour wind speed. And, uh, and yeah, just to give you an idea, you know, and it was, you know, it was horrendous. It was so tough, but then for me, I didn't have the option. But, you know, with the ability and experience, we obviously, you know, went through it by force and by knowledge and by experience and we made it happen. So, yeah. <laughs> you're also a lot of the time on these, you're, you're having to fix the lines yourself. For mm -hmm. those that don't know what that means. Yeah, so what fixing lines means is normally, just to give you an example, on, on bigger mountain like Everest or even Manaslu, um, a team of Sherpas will go and set the fixed lines. Uh, and fixed line is a rope where you put the anchor so it's secure and the rest of the mountains will probably put the hand zoom on and, and they climb with that support. But what I was doing is, you know, I was, you know, setting fixed lines for other climbers as well on, on most of the mountains, I would say, throughout the project. We're setting our own, like, you know, routes. We even opened the, opened the new lines on Sisapangma, completely new route. Uh, yeah, some of the mountains were even climbed without ropes at all. Um, so it was whole level of, you know, like um, experience. And we were just trying to make it happen by, by hook or crook. You know, sometimes, you know, when you're only a team of, you know, let's say three, you know, members in, in my team, then you have to go to and climb this mountain. You cannot carry every, you know, like bit of, you know, fixed lines. Because just to give an example, you need like thousands and thousands of meters if you're right. fixing and that's so much heavy so sometimes we would just go without rope sometimes we would tie up in, in alpine style and all that so yeah we had to use like you know, anything to our advantage you know given the you know what the environment or the what, what the mountain is presenting so, so it's yeah. kind of guerrilla style yeah it's <laughs> like you know it's like more being dynamic you yeah, know yeah. and yeah. you know yeah so uh when when you said you, that you were creating new routes mm -hmm. essentially on, on Shishapangma, for example. Yeah. Was that because you just wanted to make it harder for yourself? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> you know, it, what what I resulted think, in you choosing to do that? No, for me, we look at the mountain and the normal route was, you know, way too like long and... Okay, so you just wanted to... Yeah, we just wanted to just cut get it done up. and, you know, like, you know, get off the mountains <laughs> and we didn't even like roped up, honestly. We were so much confident at that stage. Fast and light. Even the crampons were feeling like, you know, it's, it's part of your body. So when mm -hmm. you feel that attachment, it's, it's so cool. And um, yeah, we, we did it in that way. They, you know, they always say like the, the sword's master, the sword is the extension of the arm. Yeah, exactly. Like it it thing, has right? to be like you that. Otherwise, you can't, you can't do that. So yeah. Awesome. Um, so what would you say then out of all of that was the biggest challenge within Project Possible? Um, I wouldn't say there was like one particular, but you know, the biggest challenge I would say is the mental and the physical challenge that was induced by either not having enough funding for the project, you know, either, mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, you've got to, men, you know, like uh, monitor and then manage all your social media because, you know, I want that to be authentic and, and all that. And equally, you know, doing, you know, like so many rescues, you know, giving your oxygens to other at 8,450 meters and, and conducting the rescue. 
and also like the health of my mom, uh, which was really you know emotionally draining. Um, yeah, also. So I think it was crazy from all level. You know, I don't have like you know something particular as a challenge, but yeah, all of those stuff, buddy. Your your point on the funding. This is something I think a lot of people that don't know anything about mm-hmm. mountaineering, it, yeah. it kind of blows their mind when they hear how expensive it is to do one oh of these Oh my mountains. God, yeah. How much does it cost to so summit Everest? Just to give you an example, you know, if you're climbing Everest, what you need to think of is you are going over there, living on that mountain for equally two months, okay? And then you got to buy the food for you, obviously for almost two months, and also it's not that it's such a high altitude that you got to, either the food has to be carried by the porters taking, you know, like seven, eight days, or it has to be flown by helicopters. So it was so expensive. But not only that, you know, like, for example, the guiding, if people are climbing in Alps and all, a guiding fee could, you know, vary from, you know, 500 euros to 1,000 you know, euros. So and if you're doing for two months and, you, and that's not, and it's not Alps, it's like, you know, it, Nine, almost 9,000 meter peak. So it's so expensive in terms of all that. And it may cost, you know, anything between, you know, like 40, even up to, you know, 100 grand or even 200 grand, depending upon, you know, what service you are taking mm-hmm. and what, you know, who is your guide is and all that. So, yeah, it's a, it's a mammoth, you know, like, you know, tax. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and presumably all it's a similar situation with all of them because they're all so high. Yeah, uh, presumably yeah. Presumably the same problem, you know, you've still got... Oh, exactly. With with all the mountains, they all are yeah. like every 1,000 meter peak. It's still the same thing, it's still the same challenge, it's still the same bricks and all that. So, yeah. So you can imagine then <laughs> it's, uh, why uh, the, the, you know, the getting the funding and stuff would have been such a monumental task. It is. On top is. of physically being there and waiting for that weather window when there is one and then going when you haven't got one. And, yeah, you know, that's why. That it, was, it was so tough and, uh, you know, and... Yeah, but hey, and I'm glad that we are in this stage and uh, we managed that through, you know, so many like, you know, friends and, and you know, supporters and sponsorship partners, uh, you know, they all know who they are. And yeah, it's this humbling, you know, place to be, you know, where I am now. Did you, because you actually came, you were aiming for seven months, right? And I you, was aiming for you, seven months. You cut yeah. short and then managed it in six months and, and six, six days. days. Yeah. 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 What, uh, how did that happen? Like, were you, did you... Were no, you kind of getting close and going like, do you know what, I think I could do it in six? Not really, mate. To be honest, I knew that I could have finished this project in four months if I, really? if, if I wasn't, you know, like, if I didn't have the funding issues because, you know, I was guiding people as well because we didn't have mm. money. So, you know, and guiding is like, you know, it would take a month on that one mountain because you cannot just make your clients run up, mm-hmm. you know. They have to climatize and all that. So I kind of, you know, when I initially plan, I figure out I could do that in four months, but then I put the, the, the first factor, all that, the funding issues, the political issues that I, I, I could see, like what is going to happen in the future. Mm-hmm. I put all that. So I said, you know, 14-7. And, and also the name sounds good as well. But yeah, I just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so to the people that might be looking for their own sort of project possible on mm-hmm. their own scale mm-hmm. do you have any kind of words of advice or anything you might want to say oh, to those yes you know for me everything what i have done in my life you know just to give you an example when i joined the gaikas we had thirty-two thousand candidates and only 320 made it it was a huge competition it was so so huge then when I was going for the UK Special Forces selection in the SBS, um, and I was the first Gurkha, and it was so tough and all that. But then, 
Then again, now going into, you know, what I did last year, climbing all these big mountains and all that, there's only one thing in common, the love and the job for what you're going to do. So if you love that so much, you know, and then you got, you know, you know, you dedicate that to that, you commit, put the commitment into that one and you give 100 percent to to that, you know, you know, that is stuff in what you are doing, what your aim is. Then, you know, with love, passion and with your like, you know, determined approach and positive mindset, you can achieve your new possible. So, yeah, don't do something that you don't love. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) Just chase the dream. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, It's a bit of a a cliche question, really. But what what would you say the outdoors gives you? What what does it give us? So what outdoor gives me? Especially as well within now, like post-COVID times. Yeah, so what outdoor gives me is a, a therapy, a treatment, you know, most of the things, what I have realized is, you know, the things that you could not heal, you know, inside or indoors. You know, if you go out in the nature, nature can heal everything. It's a given that is like scientifically proven. So why you are trying to do so many different things? If you go out in the nature, it does heal everything. And just to give you an example, let's say if you're like super stressed in office or if you're having so many problems, if you just even go out for a walk, straight away you come a lot fresher it heals your brain and all that and and if you want to do a bit more extreme you can even you know like either climb a mountain or you can be in a rock or you can be in a speed flying paragliding or you can be even kayaking or diving mm-hmm. and what that does is like it completely you know heal your brain and it just like it's the biggest therapy brother it's like it gives you the space yeah it's, mind, exactly it? yeah i i uh, I recently did a trip um, up in Scotland. I say recently, it was about a year ago, uh, but did a trip up in Scotland. And we, it was just a three-day canoe trip uh-huh. from one side of Scotland to the other, basically, um, wild camping along the way. And it's amazing how pure life is when all yeah. you have to think about is paddling <laughs> and then getting out of the boat, Go, setting up yeah. a tent and eating some food and then doing the same thing. The exactly. Day. But then also like the, 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 the perspective, when you're paddling, you are not trying to like, get into the water you try, you are focusing on that part as well mm-hmm. because you are focusing how you can you know survive in a way mm-hmm. and you don't want to fall off the water you want to go with certain speed there's an objective and all and that's the that's the procedure what it takes you occupied you know so yeah it's, it's amazing man and as you just said you know the reason why i do my extreme sport is because you know i live in the moment and and that's who i am mm-hmm. i love to do that and and yeah but, you know, you can relate that in, in so many aspects, you know, you don't have to go and climb big mountains, you know, but even just going out there, you know, finding your own you know, adventure. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as it's yeah. a challenge for yeah, you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And it forces you to focus on what you're doing yeah. and, and nothing 100%. else. And boom. Nice. So has the outdoors kind of always been a big part of your life when you were, you know, before you joined the Gurkhas, was it? Yeah, so when I grew up, obviously, you know, as I mentioned before, we came from a very poor family, didn't even have a flip-flops, no good, obviously, you know, even even struggling to have a food and all that. We used to live in... Um, in a house where, you know, the chicken was, you know, like, you know, the chicken farm was upstairs and all that. But then, you know, for me, I never really complained. You know, I was, um, you know, as a kid, you know, you know, I would just go through, you know, in, in the jungle of in the Chitwan. And, you know, I used to go for like crab hunting. They were like small river. 
and I used to like, you know, obviously get those crab and, and, and have that for a supper. And yeah, I was always like, kind of, you know, like outdoorsy person um, as a kid. But I, you know, since a kid, I, I, I think I just loved the nature, I guess. That was something that which I'm realizing now, looking back then and, and, and how I behaved at that point. So, yeah, it's, it's been a big part of my life. And was was it in during your time in the Gurkhas that you found the kind of the sport angle? Um, the sport the angle, I only found out when I was in Special Forces and I was like 29 okay. year old when I first ever put the crampon in my feet. Really? Yeah, I was 29 year old, <laughs> almost 30. I was only like in a couple of months short. Yeah. So, yeah. What was the path into it then? Was it so you know when you say you are from Nepal and all that, you're Gurkhas? A lot of people used to think that you have seen Everest or you have been there, and yeah. uh, my answer was no because I had never thought of you know Everest, I had never been there. <laughs> it was quite you know, I felt quite embarrassing at the end, and <laughs> I felt like oh Jesus, I probably have to just go and you know see the Everest just to tick that box off, <laughs> yeah. So I made this trip um, and also, you know, I also heard the rumor that the Gurkhas were trying to climb Everest in a few years time. So I was like, yeah, let me go and see this. But then as soon as I went there and we started trekking, you know, through, you know, landed in Lukla. So Lukla is the, is, is the airport. Uh, for those who doesn't know, that's where, you know, the, the, the plane lands, you know, it's, it's really famous. And if you haven't looked into that, guys, just Google Lukla Airport. So landed over there and it started our trekking. And then as, as soon as we come to the Namche Bazaar, oh my God, we saw this a beautiful mountain, Amadablam. And it was dominating the whole of Okumbu Ice Valley. And I was like, I spoke to my guide um, and I said, hey, brother, can, can I climb that one? And he just laughed. He's like, names people who climb Everest also don't make it to the top of this mountain. It's <laughs> hardcore. I said, ah, okay. But yeah, long story short, I managed to convince him to climb one 6,000 meter peak. So we put the crampons and we're like walking in the grass, replicating, thinking that's a snow and all that. Uh, and yeah, eventually, you know, summited in Lobuche East, um, 6,200 meter. And what I realized at that point was when you come from the Gurkhas, when you come from the Special Forces and, and the things that you have done, you think you're invincible. But as soon as I went to this mountain, you know, they made me feel really humble and how small mm. we are. And uh, also I was living in the moment. So that's what mm. it got me. And from there, it was like nonstop. It was a life changer. Amazing. And here I am today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Didn't look back. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you, as we mentioned, you've got a book on the way. Mm -hmm. Is there anything you can tell us about it? Can we get any exclusives? Yeah, so <laughs> the whole book is about, you know, my life as a kid, um, you know, where, you know, I had nothing. Uh, then from, you know, joining in, in, into the Gurkhas, the challenge that I had to face within that community and into the special forces. And it's also like, you know, what it inspired me to do what I do, what motivates me, um, and how you as an individual, you know, those listeners who are reading this, how you can achieve your new possible if you apply that principle. This book is not certainly about saying, oh, Everest is 8,848 meters and all like, you know, no, because if you really want to read that, there's a book for that. But this is something written in a different, of course, you will see the challenge that I'm facing, but then I hope through my through my you know, writing and all that, you can probably put yourself into this one and, and re co-relate 
mm-hmm. you know, into your day-to-day life. And hopefully, you know, you can achieve your new possible. So that's the so whole book to, is about. So you're trying to teach something. It's not just a pure retelling of your story. Yeah, I'm not, not really, I would say teach, because I think a lot of people maybe out there are smarter than, than, than I am, <laughs> you know. But it's just I'm trying to share my experience. And if yeah. that experience is advantage to somebody else, then please take it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is written with brutal honesty, um, 100%. There's no bigging up. You know, and uh, yeah, it's, it's all, yeah, cool. And I hope, you know, people will like it. Um, and if you're listening to this, guys, you know, yeah, feel free to, you know, give me an honest feedback. I will not be offended. It's a, you know, uh, a bad feedback or, you know. But I'm pretty much sure I've done, <laughs> you know. Five stars, come yeah. on. It's going to be yeah. five stars. We all know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so how has life changed then since, obviously, you've got the book on the way now. Yeah. You, you've completed this truly record-breaking challenge Mm -hmm. how has how have things changed since so the life has changed massively because you know now i have a responsible towards the community with the influencer power i have Mm. um you know of course i have i have a bigger responsibility um and for me what i'm really proud about is you know money has never been my priority you know i'm always about being fair and all that so I will do what is right, you know, you know, for me and you know, for the world, and I just speak out. So, um, and that is a huge challenge, you know. And um, certainly, what I have also realized is, um, once you become a very successful, you also, you know, build haters as well, mm-hmm. and and all that. So that's one of the, you know. But you know, at the end of the day, we all have that in our life. Do not for, you know, like focus on the negativity. You know, focus on the on the positive outcome and. Um, yeah, and one thing what I have definitely learned about all these things is, you know, you cannot please everybody. You cannot as a human, a human being. That's why we are human. We all are different. People have got different thoughts and all that. But um, as long as you do things what is close to your heart and you're not trying to, like, you know, do it for the sake of, you know, you know either swaying off or, or to please the world, then, you know, then you wouldn't, like, you know, be wrong. Just do, you know, what you feel is right from your from your chest and if you feel that's right and all and then I think you'll be a happy person at the end of the day yeah. I keep saying you know birth and death are given if you're born you're gonna die that's given but then what you do in between is what it makes the difference in life so don't just try to you know leave a a kind of you know like non-experienced life you know just try go out there you know make the most out of you know, every seconds you have because you know the clock is ticking so that's what I can say, you know, like, yeah, obviously, you know, the question of it got diverted here, but it's just kind of, you know, like, you know, those, you know, I felt like I got more responsibility for sure now. Mm-hmm. Have you found that in any way sort of intimidating? Because that must be a very new thing for you. And it, it, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like this sudden exposure and everything. Yeah, I think, of course, you know, it's, it's a new thing and all, but then, you know, as again, you know, I'm a massive believer that, you know, as a human, we can adapt. You got to adapt and, you know, make it work. Mm-hmm. So, it's just yeah. the, the next challenge, right? It's just the next challenge, yeah. Brilliant. Um, so what is the next big project? What are you working on at the moment? So I'm working on K2 Winter. Um, so K2 is the only mountain above 8,000 meter peak that still remains on climb. And there's a good reason why it's, it's been, you know, on climb and it's, it's so tough and all that. So I'm going there. I'm going there for two purposes. One, again, you know, to to you know, you know, highlight the name of the of the Nepalese and the Gurkha, um, you know, Nepalese climbers, the Sherpas and and the Gurkhas, and also now equally, 
what I'm doing in order to, you know, be eco-friendly. So last year I have been raising the awareness about, you know, climate change, global warming, but this time I'm acting on it. So what I'm doing as a Nimstai, as a person, playing my part in order to kind of, you know, run a sustainable environment and be eco-friendly. So everything what I'm doing in this project is I'm trying to be more eco-friendly. So um, mm. hopefully, we, you know, I'm looking to flame all this. We're definitely going to flame all that. So hopefully, you know, it's not only a super extreme adventure, but there is a purpose and all that. So I hope um, it will be a great challenge. I presume if uh, if it's unclimbed still, <clears throat> then you're not the only one going for it. Oh, yeah, there are a lot of people, you know, trying to obviously, you know, rest up that mountain and all yeah. that. For me, you know, it's not about the, the competition. It's like, I feel like I haven't done much this year, uh, so I probably have to go there and get my, you know, mind fresh <laughs> and all that. So, yeah, it's, it's a good thing. What, you know, are you, you said you're not bothered about the competition, but secretly... Surely you want to be the no, but the thing is, um, you know, I'm just competing against myself. I'm just trying to be, you know, better every day, and I'm sure I'm going to learn a lot from this and all that. So yeah, so yeah, I just want to keep it that way, so you're not offset of your pace and all that. Yeah, sure. I I don't have to impress anybody at this stage, buddy. I've done, I've been there. I've I've lived my life through, you know, special forces career, from even what I did last year and all that. So. Yeah, I don't need to prove anything to anybody, but you know. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's you seem to always operate from an internal yeah. drive rather than ever an external. And drive. that's why it's it's good. You need to have that. And if I feel like and you know, it doesn't come from my chest, I'll just drop it because it's not oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, talk about dropping it. You've you've been learning to fly. Yeah, I've been learning how to spit <laughs> Just fly. dropping off mountains. <laughs> Yeah, Tell me it, about that. <laughs> well, I cannot say much about it, um, but it is a, such a humbling sport, and it will be such a nice to you know hopefully you know, climb the you know, mountains, big mountains, and and fly from there. So it's just, but I'm still a baby. You know, people have been you know trying to you know you know paragliding for 20, 25 years, and you know and and they haven't done this kind of nice stuff. Yeah, of course, you know, people have taken from you know uh, fly from Everest in terms of paragliding, but no one is a speed fly. So it's a completely new sport and all that. And then the speed flying is so dynamic. You know, you fly next mm. to the mountain. It's in, in a more style way. But you, but it's also so dangerous that you could, you could die. So, But hey, yeah. look, I'm just learning. And because it's just because I feel for this sport. You know, I'm so alive when I'm doing those intrigues and when I'm on the air taking off and making those decisions, the right decisions. Because if you have an ego and if you're just stupid, if you're just brave and you take off, and you haven't read the wind properly and all that, you're just going to die. You're just going to collapse. Yeah. The canopy will collapse. So what, what is the difference between regular... So, okay, the paragliding is, 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 is a massive, you know, you take off the mountain and normally, you know, people, you know, get off the mountain and all that. So what yeah. is speed flying is like, it's a, so small. It's a one, you know, it's a very small glider and it's so dynamic. And mm. things you can do from, you know, this speed flying is, you know, you can put barrel rolls, you can obviously do... Wow in a crazy move and all that. But the, the trick is in it's fast and you fly next to the mountain and it's smaller. So it's about getting as close to death as yeah. you can. <laughs> as quickly as you can. Oh, yeah, well, Flying I didn't want to die though, you know. <laughs> I still got loads of responsibility, you know, towards this earth, yeah. which I call it home. Yeah. So, yeah. Plenty more to do. Plenty more to do, yeah. Um, so what? how did you actually get into it then? What was the, 
you know, what was the journey into it? Can you tell us a bit about uh, it? I always, you know, when I started talking about, you know, um, you know, climbing all these 14 peaks last year, I wanted to basically climb and fly. That's what I had my initial, but then I had okay. the funding to learn and all that. So mm -hmm. obviously that didn't happen, but I'm just like trying to go and see how actually it is, but it's so dangerous. So I'm just like really humble at this stage. I'm still a beginner. I'm just learning and see where it leads, but yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to see what happens next. <laughs> um, see what see what you jump off next. Yeah, uh, you, you've been training in Chamonix, right? <clears throat> yeah, I was. I was. Yeah, I was just speed flying. Yeah. Yeah. So, awesome. Yeah. Beautiful part of the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's so so awesome. Yeah. It's a hub for extreme sports, you know, lover mm -hmm. and all that yeah. outdoor. It, it is. It's such a hub of it's like <laughs> yeah. every outdoor sport exists there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, something I wanted to ask you was, who do you look up to? Uh, in the outdoor world specifically, who inspires you mm -hmm. to get out there and seek that next that next big thing? Yeah, it's, you know, to be honest, you know, like for me, it wasn't any kind of, you know, people from outdoor industry. You know, for me, my inspiration come from, as I have mentioned in the book, Beyond Possible, is, you know, the Muhammad Ali. You uh, yeah, bold yeah, yeah. and all, and all uh -huh. that kind of people, you all know. So great. yeah, and then sometimes it doesn't have to be from the same field, and it has to, you know, it can come from, you know, like you know the Bruce Lee, and it it has to come mm -hmm. from like different, you know, like angle. Yeah. So that's what I look look up to, and I kind of try to relate in that in my life and see what I can and how I can push myself, and yeah. So those are kind of you know, like you know my source of inspiration yeah. for like how I push myself. You know, the people who are who are the absolute elites in their field. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean you, you called yeah. uh, your mountaineering uh your guiding rather mountain yeah. mountain guiding company is called yeah. elite mountaineering elite right? expert so, yeah elite expert sorry elite expert, so, yeah <laughs> elites it's all about <laughs> the elite <laughs> the best the best all the time well i think just trying to do like you know basically what i can tell all these people is if you've got some talent and you don't work hard for it you will not go anywhere else but then the only thing what it makes difference is you. If you got talent, that means you know you are good at it. But then you got to work as much as harder than everybody else to be that the greatest. Mm -hmm. You know, so you know it comes with everything. And I keep saying, you know, like you know, discipline is not good enough. You got to be self-disciplined in 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 order to achieve all this kind of stuff. You know, motivation is not not good enough. You need to be self-motivating. You know, like you need to have that from your inner core of your heart, and that mm. only comes if you got love, passion, and purpose for the thing that you are doing in life. So, yeah, try to get those you know three triangles, you know, folks, and and just keep smashing it, and you will like go next level. So, what um, in terms of making these challenges possible? What are you doing to train for them? Oh well, or I haven't just training for. But, you know, like even, <laughs> but even like last year, I didn't had any time to train at all. You know, I just what? went. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't train. I didn't even do any fitness almost for like almost a year. My first wow. training session was almost when I went to Annapurna as I started my trekking. So I have to like you know. So I still got loads, I guess. Um, yeah, and it's I mean, only the big presumably that's because you you were so fit. Presumably yeah, because you know, I'm also in SBS, you know. <laughs> exactly. You've you've kept a base level yeah, of yeah, fitness yeah. right throughout. Yeah. So, um, so then what? You know, were you not training at any point particularly through that process? It was no, literally not just at all. But then go, I got, go go go. The only and time doing was, it was the training. Yeah, doing it at that time was the training. Um, wow. But this year I had obviously a bit of you know fortunate in during the lockdowns. I was obviously doing a mm -hmm. bit of you know CrossFit and and run and all okay. that. So it's been good. So with the crossfitting, are you like you're lifting as well? Or yeah, is it so like I kind like of do with uh, with more like a body weight kind of stuff, you know, okay, like yeah. um, you know, 
so yeah, it's good. I, yeah, I've, I've had a chat with a few mountaineers and they all say how like, you know, you want to be like, lean. you don't need extra muscle up top. You yeah. want to be lean, you want to be light. Yeah, but, it, well, I have a the, bit of guns action. and I have well, a bit yeah, of, of chest, course, man, because, you know, you still have to look good, but, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, hey, you know, like, you know, it's all about, you know, how, you know, you know, what it works for you, you know, there's no, like, you know, a single, you know, right or wrong in this thing, yeah. and it's about, you know, what it, it fits you, because every human body is different and all that, so, yeah. Do you think it helps um, being that kind of smaller, lighter frame, though? When yeah, I think when it you're, oh, you know, yeah, when because you're, oh, you're massively scenarios. hard because, you know, in 8,000 meter peak, you know, if I'm in thin air, then, you know, if you've got bigger muscles volume, that means, you know, your lungs have to supply oxygen to every muscles, you know, right. bit and all that. So it's so tough. Um, yeah. Um, hey. <laughs> but, you know, equally, man, like when I was speed flying, you know, the crash that I, you know, it, you know, it happened to me when I broke my tailbone. If I didn't have you this, broke your tailbone. Yeah, and if I didn't have like strong muscles like what I have, I would have fractured my spine and all that, right, and I would yeah, have been yeah. so injured. So you need that armor. You got that armor as well. Yeah. So it's it's like pros and cons, and advantage and disadvantage, you know. So what uh, what happened with the tailbone then? How did that? So well, I broke my tailbone and um, obviously went to the doctor, um, did the X-ray, and of course it was confirmed it was broken and. Um, I was quite early stage of the thing, you know, and then for me, like... Was, there, was this just because you, when you were landing, you just came in a bit quick? I just, no, it was so oh, quick, you know, like really? I realized I was, I didn't realize I was in this like canopy so fast. Oof. I just hit the hill like in 45 kilometer an hour to like not in oh, three wait, seconds. So this wasn't when you were landing? When I was like, when I was coming towards like, yeah, and then I just hit the, the, the hill, I couldn't make it and... Oh my... <laughs> yeah, but then the, the thing here is again, man, you know, like when that happened, um, I couldn't even, I could barely walk, but then yeah. I, f I flew next day. And really? the trick is do not make any mistake. And there is no, no time for error. If you yeah. make a mistake, you die. So as I said, well, the, the, the plan here is to make, not make any mistake. And if I do yeah, any yeah, mistake, yeah. I'm not going to like have this. So I just took off the next day. It was painful, but I started and I didn't rest at all. Right, because you didn't see it made any difference because of... Yeah, you know, but it's, it's also about the different approaches, you know. I'm, I'm completely different, you yeah. know. I love to work in that, in a stressful environment. And it's mm -hmm. also about not being too overconfident. Uh, it's about having that confidence and also like, trusting the procedures and the knowledge even in, in a difficult times. Sometimes you've got to do yeah. that. So yeah, I flew next day and, and in, a, in a hindsight, if I had had another crash, maybe I go paralyzed throughout my whole life. But then the trick is not to make any mistake. Yeah. You are so not, if, it, I, if, it, you're, if you're flying with the, with the hope that you're going to make mistake anyway, why? You're not good enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You so take it, it off. It seems like you have mistake. a very logical approach to it. Right, so it's yeah. like, well, all I have to do is not make a mistake. So as long as I'm yeah. focusing and I don't do that, then I'm fine. I'm fine. And you just have to land like a, a bird. Tournament. People say that you are not a bird, but you've got to land like a bird, you know, which doesn't happen often, but hey. <laughs> yeah. Well, there we go. So, yeah, so, the, the, you know, the broken tailbone makes no difference either way because yeah. you still need to not make a mistake every time. Exactly, exactly. You could be, like, completely fine, but then if you are going over there with an aim to make a mistake and all that, that's not yeah. good you either. Wouldn't, you wouldn't have been doing it in the first place. Uh, yeah. But it didn't enter your head that the tailbone injury might affect your ability nah, to you know, not make a mistake. Your brain control. It's, of course, it's painful, but then you got to yeah. supersede with the... Uh, with 
with the worries of you know what possibly go wrong and in order to not have that possibly going wrong and you know imagining yourself you know being you know half paralyzed throughout the whole, your whole life <laughs> you don't make mistake that's the yeah. only way so you just don't think about that and just focus I on just what you focus on what focus i'm on doing the job you have to do. think like what i'm going to do at what height am you know what i'm yeah. doing and how i'm approaching you know this is smaller canopies fast i'm focusing on everything i'm trying to fill the canopy so yeah <laughs> i guess this is where the special forces training comes in is being able to being able to just switch that on and just go. I, I think that so. Doesn't I matter. Think, that's irrelevant. I'm yeah, doing the thing. yeah. I think it, it helps definitely in terms of you know operating in a, in a very stressful environment and all that. But yeah, would you would you say that it like do you think you could have achieved what you've achieved without that special forces background? Um, that's a very hard question to be honest because like since you know you know which I have mentioned in the book when I was a kid you know joining the Gurkha wasn't easy you know I was in the in the hostel and. Uh, we're not even allowed to go out. But I used to wake up at, you know, 2 o'clock and I used to do like 25K, come in, in, in the bed and pretend that I'm asleep, you know, and wake up with the guys at 6. So I had always this kind of stuff. And even when I was in the Gaikas, I would do exactly the same thing, you know, wake up in a 2, 1 in the morning, carry in a 65 pound, you know, and uh, and do a tabbing, which is in a speed march, you know, 20 kilometers. And then I... I reach probably around like, you know, in the morning, I still do a PT with a physical training with the normal army guys. Mm-hmm. Then I do my days worth of work with the, with the military, you know, eight to four, five. Then in the evening, I will just run like without obviously Bergen, free back that 20K. Then, then I would go to like, you know, in the gym, then I would, you know, cycle for like, you know, for like, I would say 60 you know, miles. Then I would like go to the swimming and I wasn't a best swimmer and but I would still do like you know freestyle in a 20, 25 meter swimming pool land, like about hundred of those lands. And by the time I finished it will be like 10 p.m. But then I had that drive to like because it's because I wanted to be part of that group. I want, you know, it was love. Mm-hmm. So I think I really don't know, but what you know, special forces definitely helped me with the training that I have from them was being able to operate in a very stressful environment, making the right decisions, you know. Keeping the head cool. Um, keeping the head cool and all that. Um, so, yeah. So there is a, a bit of that, you know, and all that. So, yeah. yeah. Once you've got that skill, you're going to yeah. carry that with you yeah. in everything you do, aren't you? Awesome. What, what do you think you'd be doing if you weren't doing what you're doing? If you hadn't joined okay. the Kirkers, yeah. if you hadn't joined the Special Forces, where do you think you'd be? So... I would think right now, as I have mentioned in the book, I since I was a kid, if I didn't want, if I don't pass the Gurkha selection, I wanted to be a a Robin Hood version of you know like Nepal. So I wanted to be the most corrupted inspector, you know, <laughs> charging all these people who are corrupted, you know, getting their money and then distributing to the pure. Maybe I would be by now, maybe Inspector General Police of Nepal, or I would I could be dead. I don't know. <laughs> That's what I would have been. Either way, it would be an equally epic story <laughs> so, by the sounds of it. So yeah, <laughs> that was my plan. That was my second plan. <laughs> Your backup plan, Robin Hood. <laughs> Primary plan, Kirkus Special Forces, legendary man. Yeah. So I, I hope you know plan. when people read this book, they will see like you know where I'm coming from and all that. So yeah. Do you think you'll ever return to the Robin Hood plan? <laughs> <laughs> I hopefully now I don't have to do that. Because, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I like to think in a way you're sort of doing it if you think about it because you know now you're you're taking a more active approach on pushing like trying a more sustainable world yeah that's stuff, my fight know? now this that's is your, this is my fight that's you how know? you're giving back 
this is my fight you know, for, for our home in the planet Earth. So this is what I'm going to be doing. And I'm not going to say, you know, being honestly, guys, I'm not the most talented individual and I don't have the education about all this. But I will put, you know, as in a, in a Sir David Edinburgh said, I'm going to put this in, into, into, into core of my heart in every decisions I make. And um, one can only get best, right? And that's what I'm going to do. So. Well, I can't think of a, a better way <laughs> to kind of wrap up awesome. than, than a little quote from, from David Attenborough himself. Yeah. Um, let's, let's finish off then with your three recommends. Mm-hmm. We're looking for one film or TV show, one uh, music, so artist or song, uh-huh. and one other, which could be anything. That could be Ooh. a book or a podcast or an app or an activity or oh whatever. Oh, my God. My, I'm sorry. I cannot, unfortunately, give everything out there, but I can definitely want, you know, recommend you know, everybody out there to watch this amazing documentary of, of feature film made by Sir David Attenborough in Our Planet. That is must. The witness statement. Take that up. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. That's my only recommendation. Beautiful. Um, you don't want to give a music. You don't nah, want to give another. David that's <laughs> just <laughs> David Attenborough. Just, that's it. That's and then once you finish, David Attenborough again. Yeah. And then once you finish, David and Attenborough. And yeah, again. it's it's a big thing, you know. <laughs> yeah. I believe in that. So. There we have it. I'll be honest. I don't think I've met anyone with more of a can't stop, won't stop attitude than Nims. There's certainly more big things to come from him in the future. So definitely watch this space. And pick up a copy of his book, Beyond Possible. No doubt it's going to be a truly inspiring read. Thanks to Nims for joining us, to your wonderful selves for listening. I've been your host, Marcus Brown, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Osprey Podcast. Podcast.